horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, thanks for joining us uh, for uh, a look at our neighbors to the north here on Winning Ponies tonight because we are going up to Woodbine. Of course, it is the weekend that they run the historic Queen's Plate. It's held in uh, in Find Revere uh, there at, at, at Woodbine. And we're going to pull in some experts to help us. Uh, second up will be Robert Reed, and he is going to help us reel in a bunch of graded stakes races, of course, headed up by the million-dollar Queen's Plate. But what a car they have up there. So uh, Robert Reed will be our second guest at the bottom of the hour. And our first guest will be none other than Hall of Famer Sandy Hawley. Now, Sandy Hawley will go down in the record books as uh, a four-time winner of the Queen's Plate. I was lucky enough to uh, get to know Sandy a little bit during a two-day stint down at Phasing Tipton uh, last year. And uh, since then, we've stayed in touch. Uh, He's doing great things for the different uh, permanently disabled uh, uh, jockeys club uh, uh, function that they have around the country. And, of course, uh, he'll give us his insight into Woodbine. Uh, I did call him earlier. It kind of sounded like he was on a party bus. I don't know if they're going to pull over or if (laughs) we're going to have a little background music uh, there but uh, anyhow so uh, crack open a uh, a molson's and sit back it's going to be an all canadian show today now uh, robert reed he's also besides the queen's plate is going to break down the queen no the highlander that's a grade one and then remember this girl dance smartly she's got a grade two named after her mile and a quarter on the turf and then a mile on the turf it's the king edward and the best that they're going to have up there are absolutely phenomenal and the pools are going to be seated so uh get tied on i'll I'll run them down in a little bit but uh with all the great races they're going to have up there and early pick five early pick four that's got a two hundred thousand dollar guarantee pool and how about the lake pick four races 10 through 13 has three hundred thousand dollars up for grabs so just fantastic racing and a lot of seated guaranteed pools up at woodbine and again we'll be talking to robert reed because he confirmed that he is tied on and ready to go with us here on winning ponies so let's go back now and uh Remind everybody about uh, the one thing you got to do on these big days because the pools are so big, and that is pull down your easy win forms from winningponies.com. Hope you did earlier in the week. Of course, we go from coast to coast, but it was a huge week for us at Santa Anita where the pools are always huge. How about these? $1 super high five. This was on the, the 23rd, paid 4446 The day before, we had a 50-cent pick four at Santa Anita that paid $3,245. And the day before that, a $1 Super 5 paid 
$469. So uh, the easy wind forms are going to be what you want to have with you when you start looking at Queen's Plate data. Normally, it's a Sunday, but they've moved it back to a Saturday. Lucky us. So uh, we'll be uh, we'll be looking at that. Enough about all those races in Canada. Let's get on to news. Some of it's sad for me on a personal basis. Uh, a gentleman I got to know over the years, Dr. Paul Gutile. I attended his funeral today. Dr. Gutile, just an amazing man, an outstanding breeder. Uh, his farm was not far from the original Darby Dan farm in Galloway, Ohio. Yes, that's where Darby Dan started. But uh, Dr. Gutile, just what an amazing guy. Throughout his entire life, he was a, a general practitioner, but uh, he volunteered to go over to Vietnam and help head up a department in a 400-bed facility there back when things were pretty hot in Vietnam. And then he came back. Uh, he's always been kind of connected to the Columbus area, Ohio U, Ohio State University. Uh, he was voted professor of the year there. Uh, but he was also an outstanding horseman, breeder, knew how to pick a good trainer. Uh, and he had uh, multiple uh, stakes winners, but he had several Ohio champions, one of them two-time Horse of the Year, Crypto's Red Jet. I remember going to his farm, doing a story on him. I brought my six-year-old son, Pat, and he let him hold Crypto's Red Jet while I took a picture of him. <laughs> she was cool, calm, and collected. They said you could blow off a firecracker underneath her, and she wouldn't turn a hair. But uh, nonetheless, uh, a great man. He served as uh, president of the Ohio Thoroughbred Breeders and Owners for several years after being the vice president. And so for anybody that, that knew him, uh, sad to say that uh, uh, he's gone now, but certainly from the, from the crowd that we had on uh, on, on hand today, uh, he certainly won't be forgotten for a long time. I, I can't list all the awards he's got because this is only a one-hour show. So uh, some bad news on the uh, three-year-old scene. Magna Moon sustained what is called a career-ending injury in a workout. Uh, that was uh, earlier in the week. It was at Belmont Park, and uh, he's scheduled to go into surgery to repair his injury uh, at Cornell Ruffian Equine Specialist. Again, uh, it was about five days ago when this all went down, and it was during his gallop out after a timed work on the training track at Belmont for, for Todd Pletcher, and they're calling it a structural injury. I'm not sure what that means, but it does mean that he is probably sent off to the breeding shed. Of course, earlier in the year, he won the grade one Arkansas Derby and the grade one Rebel Stakes. So we won't see Malibu Moon on the uh, scene much anymore. As a matter of fact, not much, not at all. And uh, it's about time. Favor Sham. Finally breaks his maiden. Does the name ring a bell? Well, I know his full brother's name does. California Chrome. So uh, Art Sherman uh, said it was a big weight off his back. Turns out that uh, Faversham likes the grass, and he found his sweet spot at Santa Anita on the grass. Uh, and, of course, he uh, is uh, by Lucky Pulpit. He's from the last... Uh, 
crap, I believe. And uh, so uh, he's out of Not For Love. No, the Not For Love mayor, Love the Chase. And uh, actually, he was at her final fall uh, by Lucky Pulpit. Then she sold for one million nine hundred fifty thousand dollars at the 2016 phasing tipton sale and since then she's had a little bit better breeding lucky pulpit she's had a tappet cult last year and a pioneer of the nile cult this year so uh Love the chase uh, moving up to uh, the stallion ranks. Well, last year, week I shared with you it was kind of uh, Ohio Derby Day, and what a race that turned out to be. It was a thriller. <clears throat> Getting up by a nose, a horse that had to break from the outside, it was core beliefs getting the job done. Got a chance to meet uh, Peter Erton, uh, the trainer, Core Beliefs, really nice guy. Now, uh, this son of Quality Road was only making his uh, sixth lifetime start and scored his second career win <laughs> in, in the Ohio Derby. So uh, congratulations. Uh, he's pretty well traveled. He finished second in the Peter Pan after making all of his other starts at Santa Anita. I believe he's back at Santa Anita now. But uh, he was uh, you know, kind of shuffled back in the beginning and uh, took his time. Joe Talamo was up and then all of a sudden started grinding it out after the, uh, the uh, six furlong pole. And uh, it looked like a winner down on the rail, Lone Sailor with Irad Ortiz. And all of a sudden, Irad looks over and says, what? Who is that? And Core Beliefs knocks him over the head and uh, got, got the job done. Lone Sailor in second by a length over Trigger Warning, a uh, local hopeful. Uh, trigger Warning, uh, trained by Mike Roan, uh, had only tried a mile of 16th once and finished sixth, beating 20 links in the Mine That Bird Derby at Sunland. So he was moved back east and uh, seems like he liked the poly track over at uh, Presque Isle Downs and won the Tom Ridge. But that was six furlongs. He stretched out. Good training job by Mike Roan to get him graded stakes place. So, uh, that was the that was the big race at at Thistledown. Then of course uh, we had Rich Ruda on with us, and we did look at the the two Ohio seventy five thousand dollars stakes and uh, the uh, William J Petro uh, Memorial was none other than stablemate proper discretion getting the job done. Mick, Nikki, my darling, looked to be the stronger part of of the entry. But uh, it was uh, it was proper discretion that got the job done over school board prez and Cali Dream, and then uh, we looked at the uh, George Lewis Memorial. It was a rematch between Eight the Hard Way and Leona's Reward, and the tables were turned this year. Eight the Hard Way got the lead away from Mobile Solution and pulled away by four and a half, looking awful good. So uh, running second was Mobile uh, Solution, Leona's Reward, 
was third. So that was a look at what we did. And I just want to thank everybody up there at Thistledown. Uh, they, they could not have been nicer. And it was also great. Mike Manganello, uh, we had on with us last week. And I got to hang out with Mike. Of course, I've known him. I worked with him uh, in Cincinnati for several years. And he was just eating it up. And it was great because, you know, he rode over a thousand winners up in the Cleveland area. And it, they rounded up, uh, you know, Tommy Myers and Tony Reaney and a couple of the other uh, old jocks that are still around there. And they all pose for a group picture. It was great. But uh, Mike and his wife, Kitty, like Sandy Hawley, do a lot of work for uh, the PDJF. So it was great to see Mike coming up from his home in Lexington. And it was great uh, for everybody, uh, you know, Patrick Ellsworth, the the, uh, racing secretary. And, of course, Rich Ruda was uh, just fantastic all day long. Got treated like a king. I loved it. So we're going to go from the Ohio Derby to... Uh, what could be one of the biggest races above the border, the Queen's Plate. And we're going to get to talk to a man that won that race four times, Sandy Hawley. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and with me now, I was blessed to have him on the show last year. I wrangled him up again uh, this year. Of course, uh, it's it's the the big day for Canadian racing, as far as I know. Sandy can set me straight. I'm talking about uh, about Sandy Hawley, and uh, he's with us. Uh, started out, uh, you know, when he was a 17 year old, uh, hot walking horses in Toronto, and uh, I do believe that's the area that he calls home now. I'd read his resume, but it's as long as LeBron James's arm. So with uh, no more introduction, Sandy Hawley, how are you? 
Hey, John, great. Great to be on your show again, buddy. All right. Well, good to hear your voice. Uh, you still sound like a 17-year-old. A uh, you, you've, you've done very well over the years. Mother Nature has been kind to you, Sandy. Uh, so what's it like? Uh, g- give me your perspective, not where you are now, because I know you're in a different role, but what's it like for a, a Canadian rider going into the Queen's Plate. Is, is it akin to what we hear about American or riders that ride in America riding in the Kentucky Derby? Well, you know what? It is. It's got that royal tradition, and it, it really is fantastic. And it's actually the longest-running race, uh, well, stake race, in North America. It's the 159th running. It's even longer than the Kentucky Derby. But it's uh, it's just a thrill to be in the race. I know I've ridden some long shots in the race, too, but... It's just a thrill just to be in the race. It, it's like being in the Kentucky Derby for a U.S. rider, for sure. Well, yeah, you know, of course, I like to do my homework. Most people don't think so because I never did in college. But um, <laughs> I never did in school either, John. I was afraid to go to school. <laughs> I just always sat next to a smart kid and had good eyes, so I got through it. <laughs> and read his homework. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when I went back to, to, to look up the, the records of some of the horses and uh, some of the names that went on to become famous horses, all they had from – 1860 to 1879 was the name of the winner. I'm looking at the racing manual, which is the Bible of racing. They don't even know mm-hmm. who finished second or third in those races. And then all of a sudden it picks it up in, in 1880 and they, they start you know listing the, the, the horses there. Uh, obviously, the conditions of the races have changed because back in the day, some four-year-olds and even a five-year-old won the race. So uh, they, they've changed it a bit. Uh, now, uh, as far as the, the pomp and circumstance, it's called the Queen's Plate. I remember, I think I have a collector's program that showed. It's called the King's Plate. Well, it showed King Charles, I believe it was. Right, it, right, it, exactly. In a wagon being pulled. So did they used to come on a regular basis or is it like a 10-year tradition or something? Uh, do, have they stayed? Has royalty stayed connected with this race? Well, you know what? I wasn't here a hundred years ago, but I'm, I'm sure that they came quite often. And they would maybe come now like once every ten years. I've uh, been very lucky myself to have had an opportunity to meet the Queen twice. Uh, really? One time I had hair down down to my shoulders, John, and you remember those days. But, yes, I uh, do. You know, it's just uh, she's such a wonderful, wonderful woman. And, uh, you know, she really does support this race. And she does know about this race as well. Well, Sandy, you know, uh, a, a four-time winner of this race. Now, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's run at a mile and a quarter. Now, when you first won the race, uh, I believe that it was back in 1970. I didn't know the name of this horse, uh, Elmoner, if I'm pronouncing Elmoner, it. But, yes. But you beat a famous horse in there in Fanfreluche. Yeah. Or Fanfreluche, yeah, that's she, right. She she was a Canadian Horse of the Year, perhaps. I know she was a champion there. She was. Uh, she ended up finishing second. Uh, she was owned by John Louis Levesque, and he had some wonderful, wonderful horses. Uh, a few le- years later, I won with Longeleur, who is also owned by uh, John Louis Levesque. Uh, but yeah, he had Fran Felouche, uh, Longeleur, and a lot of very famous horses. And it was just, <laughs> it was pretty exciting to, uh, to win it for the first time, that's for sure. Well, as I recall, correct my memory because I lose it every day, uh, what, 
wasn't Fanfreluche involved in in a horse napping incident down in Kentucky? No, uh, she was. She got kidnapped, and uh, <laughs> they wouldn't pay the ransom, and uh, they finally gave up and just dropped her off at a farm somewhere, and uh, they got her back. And it was uh, it was a pretty scary situation. Yes, for sure. Yeah, she was very regally bred. I know that. Well, uh, l- let's let's move on because I am familiar with uh, with two of the horses that that you rode. Uh, do you remember 1971 and Kennedy Road? 71, yeah, that was the year after Almoner and Kennedy Road. Uh, what an amazing horse he was because he ended up not only winning the Queen's Plate, but he ended up going down, down to California as a four-year-old, and the shoemaker ended up riding him. He won a couple of big stake races in California as well. And it's funny, I became friends with uh, the great Bill Shoemaker while I was in California. And uh, it's funny, I used his uh, restroom at his house, and I went in the bathroom, and here's a huge picture of him winning on Kennedy Road. So it was pretty <laughs> neat to uh, to say, wow, you know what? I knew Kennedy came back down to California and did well, but it just got br- brought back some memories of riding him in the Queen's Plate, that's for sure. He was a tremendous horse. Well, I was blessed one time to be at a uh, party with uh, Bill Shoemaker and Eddie Arcaro. Mm-hmm. They both came in. Wow. And, uh, I, yeah, I know. I, I, I couldn't get to the bourbon bottle because those guys always had it <laughs> passing it around. <laughs> they were characters. But, they were characters, that's for sure. They I, they were. And I remember looking down at Shoe, at Shoe's Shoes, and he told me he had to, you know, he couldn't go anywhere but the boys' department. And, I mean, they had to be like I a know. size six. Uh, it was well, just staying the court. You know, you know, you know you know what was funny, John, is uh, one time he came to ride at Woodbine, and he went into the jockey's room, and he put his shoes on the table because the valets usually do the rider's shoes, and the valet didn't realize that Shoemaker was, was in town, and he goes, geez, I even have to do the kids' shoes now, too. <laughs> <laughs> they were Shoemakers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he did. He did. He, he was small all over, but I'll tell you what, he had the hands, he had the techniques and the finesse, technique and finesse, he was amazing. Well, all right. I'm going to hit you hit you with, with one more because once again, Sandy, you you upset two major Canadian horses in the 1978 edition in Overskate and Lausanne. Well, yeah, um, Overskate uh, that was uh, uh, a pretty amazing race for us, and uh, it was a horse called the Regal Embrace, and Regal Embrace. I was at uh, a farm. I was at E.P. Taylor's farm about 12 years before I won the Queen's Plate that year, and I was at E.P. Taylor's farm looking for a job because I grew up in Oshawa, and he had his farm in Oshawa where the great northern dancer was standing. And so I got a job at his farm. I met a trainer by the name of Duke Campbell who took me under his wing and took me to Woodbine. But just becoming a jockey was like, wow. I was going around the shed one day, and I hadn't even ridden a race, and a guy said, hey, jock, how are you doing? I go, wow, he called me a jockey. Never thinking in a million years I'd end up uh, having a half-decent career. And 12 years later, here I am in the winter circle on a horse called Regal Embrace, owned by the great E.P. Taylor. So that was definitely my biggest thrill at Woodbine. And, yeah, we beat a horse uh, called Overskate, who was the big favorite. Robin Platts rode him, and he came charging. But uh, the lucky stars were on my side. We ended up winning by a head. 
Yes, and I, and I believe Lizon, I'm probably pronouncing that terribly, uh, that was a filly, and I believe she had some regal breeding. I don't know if she was uh, a half-sister of Secretariat or something along those lines. Yeah, and I'm just telling you I did my homework. I should have done the homework mm-hmm. on her because I know she had some. <laughs> she was an she amazing on, filly. She really was, and I ended yeah. up uh, riding a, a horse called Longelure for John Louis Levac that year, and, and he had actually won the Laurel Futurity. So he was he was a tremendous horse. He ended up horse of the year as well. Well, we're talking with uh, Hall of Fame jockey uh, Sandy Hawley, and uh, Sandy, now uh, you're, you're very lucky that uh, you were able to. Uh, graduate from the riding ranks with all your joints in place though some of them probably still hurt in the morning but now you're, you're kind <laughs> of a, a, a spokesman and uh, you, you kind of represent uh, Woodbine uh, so uh, tell me how, how busy are you going to be the next couple of days well you know what this is a busy time for us when the big races are coming up especially races like the Queen's Plate um, I'm an ambassador for Woodbine Entertainment. They've treated me fantastic over the last 18 years since I've been retired. And uh, they've just been absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'll i be pretty busy. I'll be seeing a lot of groups. I see a lot of groups when they come to uh, to Woodbine. And uh, we, just, uh, we just have a tremendous time. We have a number of uh, great dining rooms. And uh, just, um, you know, we have uh, the Turf Lounge. And a number of other places that uh, you know the 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 big uh, the big the big boys will be coming to, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of them. But uh, we we have a tremendous field. We have 16 horses this year. It's going to be a pretty exciting race, John. Oh, it it is, it is, and I'm going to be uh, speaking with a local handicapper, Robert Reed, here in in, in just a little bit about it. Now, I wanted to ask yep. you a question. Uh, back when you mm-hmm. were riding in the Queen's Plate, I'm assuming it was a dirt track. Yes, it was. It was a dirt track. Now we have the synthetic track. But, uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I rode a few horses in the mud, and, and believe it or not, one year a horse called Royal Chocolate won the race. Get this. And the Queen came that year. So what a hunch that that would have been. Royal Chocolate and the Queen was there. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the track was like chocolate, and, and a horse called Royal Chocolate won the race. Paid about $20, uh, ridden by Ted Colangelo. Uh, I kind of chased him home that year, John. Well, uh, you know, maybe in a year or two, you'll be, uh, you know, schmoozing with Meghan Markle uh, when the, they make the trip. Yes, yes. That, that <laughs> would be absolutely tremendous. Absolutely <laughs> tremendous. Any time we have anybody from the royal family come in, uh, it, it is absolutely amazing. And, but you know what? We know they're watching, and, and uh, it's great to, uh, to have it called the Queen's Plate because it is it doesn't. It does have a lot of royal tradition, and by the way, John, we have six American riders coming in to ride this race. Like I mean, top-notch riders. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, you've got uh, uh, Alan Garcia is coming in. Uh, you've got. Uh, anytime you get one of the Ortiz brothers, you're doing just fine. Jose Ortiz, yes. John Velasquez, Javier yep. yeah. Castellano, Joel Rosario. You know Mitchell um, Merrill and yeah. uh, uh, Florent Giroux. I mean, it's 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 fantastic. I mean, these guys are coming in to ride some pretty nice horses, and you know, hopefully, we end up uh, you know having a horse like Justify that is a tremendous horse and goes on to do great things. Well, of course, uh, you know, we, I, I've I've got to come to the conclusion of this segment, Sandy, but we certainly couldn't uh, go 
talking about the Queen's Plate, uh, if we didn't talk about the 1964 winner, Northern Dancer, I do believe that the reason he's not mm-hmm. a Triple Crown winner is because winning the Queen's Plate meant more to his connections than winning the Triple Crown. And so he passed on the Actually, Belmont. Yeah, he ended up winning the Queen's Plate after he ran in the Belmont. Uh, it was a few weeks after the Belmont, so it worked out well that uh, he could run in the Queen's Plate afterwards. Uh, he won the Queen's Plate by like six or seven lengths. But, uh, yeah, he was uh, just a, a tremendous racehorse and the greatest beer of all time, as we know. Absolutely. Uh, changed the entire breed. Well, Sandy Hawley, I know you're a busy man. Uh, so you probably got people to entertain up there at Woodbine Entertainment. <laughs> so you go out and have a good time. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be with us on Winning Ponies, Sandy. Well, I just wanted to throw in real quick that we're putting in a new turf course. It's going to be ready next June. We're going to have like six races on the grass every single day. And uh, um, we may even have all the races on the turf that day. So it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be uh, a race, a turf course on the inside and the outside of the main track. And, John, we need you to come up for the Queen's Play one of these years, maybe next year. I like it, Sandy, and thanks for the invite. I think I will. Uh, yeah, I, I got to uh, redo my passport. I think back then I actually had uh, black hair. Now I look like Bob Baffert with a bad, with a <laughs> bad beard. <laughs> but thank you for the invite, Sandy. I greatly appreciate it. Now, uh, uh, my eyes will be uh, riveted on Woodbine all day Saturday, as I'm sure our audience will be. You've got a fantastic betting uh, opportunities up there, and I hope uh, your yeah. friend Robert Reed's going to walk us through that with it. So, and, uh, look, I know you're in the middle of having a good time. Go continue having <laughs> it, and I will catch up with you sometime when you come down to Kentucky. Thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to be on your show, man. Okay. That was Sandy Hawley. We're going to take a quick break, and we come back. We're going to break down this really great Woodbine card with an experienced handicapper. At least there'll be one on the show. Robert Reed, you're listening to Winning Ponies. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full field with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Englehart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. All right, and with me now, first-time starter on Winning Ponies, glad to have him aboard, uh, Robert Reed. Uh, he's been involved in the horse racing industry for over 30 years and actually came from the other side, shall we say. Uh, he was a, a standard-bred uh, horseman and, and involved with them, and uh, then all of a sudden he started spotting the right horses and uh, uh, knew which ones to maybe uh, wager or purchase, and now he's moved over to the other side. He's uh, one of the uh, uh, HP iBet Support Center managers uh, who oversees the betting platform across Canada. And, of course, that's located at the prestigious Woodbine Racetrack in Toronto. Robert Reed, for the first time, welcome to Winning Ponies. Thanks, John. Really uh, happy to be here. And, uh, you know, hopefully uh, hopefully this will be a uh, maiden-breaking effort my first start. Ah, you'll do just fine. Well, listen, let's find out about you. I like to introduce our audience to our guests because I don't think it's the last time I'm going to have you on. We've got a great relationship with Woodbine. They're the sponsor of our show. Uh, tell me about the Robert Reed's early years, how you kind of first got exposed to horses and horse racing. Well, it started uh, before I can remember. I probably uh, knew uh, how to read the uh, program before I knew how to read uh, preschool books because uh, I was going to the race with my dad since Again, before I can remember, I probably, uh, you know, I, again, working at Woodbine now, I shouldn't say this, but I probably placed my first bet when I was around six years old. <laughs> um, and, you know, actually had a lot of early success in wagering on horses, and that's what led me to buy my first standard race horse when I was 16. Uh, at one point, uh, I actually owned a stable of uh, around 15 horses, uh, standard race horses, when I was in my early 20s. So it was... Uh, you know, quite the uh, quite the life, and it can get pretty expensive, and it can be uh, really fun. The highs can be high, the lows can be low, but, you know, it was an absolute phenomenal ride. Now, uh, Robert Reed, did you uh, did you ever train, or were you ever, you know, high, high, as far as, you know, picking up horses like that, was it basically off your handicapping skills? So I actually, uh, you know, followed in the footsteps of my father and a couple other owners that I mentored under, and you know, they kind of approach the game the, the same way I do now, uh, even even if I was looking to, to purchase a horse, is that the owners kind of like the GM, and uh, to be a good GM in horse racing, you need to, uh, you know, be uh, someone who can handicap them and understand, you know, what horses are, are the right ones to wager on, because they're generally the right ones to also put a claim in on or try to purchase. 
so that was my approach. Um, you know, I had a lot of success. I, uh, you know, I kind of specialized in claiming horses uh, for low, low prices and, and, and seeing them go up the ladder. So uh, there was nothing better than kind of, you know, buying a horse that was a diamond in the rough and watching them go on to uh, great success. Absolutely. Now, um, mo- moving forward a- after you had that, tell me about the years in between and uh, h- how you got to the position you're in now. Well, oddly enough, uh, you know, I was, I've, I've always, uh, you know, maintained, I guess, uh, uh, a love for the sport and wagering and being a handicapper over the years. So even when I kind of slowed down on the owning side, because the old joke I used to make uh, to a lot of the, uh, the employees that worked for me was I, I decided to kind of pursue an actual, you know, career path. Uh, because as great as it was having a stable of horses, it wasn't really that stable at times. So um, <laughs> I actually decided to, to, to jump back into the corporate world, um, and uh, I, I have a lot of experience managing uh, you know, various teams in the financial industry. Um, and what happened was uh, when me and my uh, wife moved back to Canada from Richmond, Virginia a few years ago, an opportunity came up to match um, you know, my, my uh, professional career with my passion, uh, so, you know, managing, managing teams now at uh, HBI Bet. So it was a great opportunity. It was the right one. And now I'm, uh, you know, I'm back fully immersed in the industry. Uh, and, you know, I, every day living the dream. Well, uh, so, so tell me, were, were you able to transfer your handicapping ability to thoroughbreds? And what was different and what was the same? Well, although we, we own standard reds throughout my life, and we, we certainly went to, uh, you know, Greenwood Raceway was where I kind of grew up. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or you went down there at all. It was downtown Toronto. It was, it was a property that no longer exists that was operated by Woodbine. Um, and they had both standardbreds and thoroughbreds. We also went to Woodbine frequently as well for the thoroughbred cart. So while we were fully immersed in the standardbred game, I, you know, my dad also had a couple of thoroughbreds when I was growing up, and, and I constantly, you know, would, would also kind of, kind of, we would, we would do double headers. <laughs> I was at the track a lot. So we would sometimes even make the trip down to Fort Erie, uh, you know, if there was a, a pick seven carryover, a pick six carryover. So, um, you know, it, it kind of, I, I think the two, uh, sports, you know, are, are obviously different in a lot of ways. You know, in standardbred racing, it's a lot about the, the conditions that horses fit, um, you know, and the claiming tags, um, you know. But, but I think that you can translate it pretty well. Um, and and I, I think it's something that, you know, I, I know a lot of guys that are actually, they're dual-purpose handicappers, right? They can kind of hold their own on both sides of the sport. Yes, I, I do know a few. I'm not one of them, that's for sure. I've, I've never been able to transfer it. Uh, some people would say I don't even have it on the thoroughbred side, but that's a story for another <laughs> show. Um, well, uh, let, let's talk about the Queen's Plate. There's a story that just popped up on the Blood Horse about the million-dollar scar. Uh, they tried to sell Dixie Moon, uh, and nobody wanted to buy her because I guess when she was younger, she got kicked by her mother. and It left a huge scar on her and it just made her unsightly and people didn't want to didn't want to buy her so uh, they backed into uh, the the million dollar filly uh, i'm trying to look uh, you know basically uh here's my connections on the uh the, the queen's play not my connections but my thoughts is it's, it's kind of interesting it's like you've got two outstanding fillies taking on the boys and that's not a rarity because later in the card we're going to talk about 
two four-year-olds that ran first and third in this race last year. And the two horses I'm talking about are Wonder Godot. She's won 742000 And the, the million-dollar million dollar scar, Dixie Moon, uh, who uh, in only eight starts, won half of them and has won 517,000. So uh, I guess it's not a rarity that a Philly wins uh, the Queen's Plate. And the other note that I have in here, and I'll stop talking and let you pick it up, is, uh, you know, as much as telekinesis, Wonder Godot and Dixie Moon seem to float to the top, this could easily, in a 16-horse field, be a race where there's an upsetter in there. Uh, you know what? It, it was interesting because uh, you know I, I was kind of discussing this earlier today with someone, and and looking at the field, you know there are some certain standouts. And when you have a horse in a sixteen horse field that's a five to two morning line, you certainly it certainly suggests that that horse is even better than that price, right? Uh, because that's that's a pretty big statement to make a horse five to two in a sixteen horse field. Uh, but even though you know there, there's even a couple maidens in the race. It really, it really could be a wide open affair, right? Um, with 16 horses, you've got, like you mentioned, the two fillies that uh, are certainly uh, are two horses that really have every right to be right there. Uh, you know, both, you know, on the the trifecta or the superfecta, uh, if not better. Um, it, it's a race with some very uh, intriguing angles. Um, although myself personally. I do lean towards telekinesis possibly being just that much better than the field. Um, but again, anything can happen in a 16-horse field. All right. We're talking with Robert Reed. And uh, for those that uh, don't have a form in front of them, uh, telekinesis is the 5-2 to two horse uh, with uh, the popular jockey up there, Patrick Husbands, aboard. Uh, but And, of course, Mark Cassie that has just ruled the roost up there over the last few years. Um, and while... Telekinesis ha- has only run four times in its life. It's got some things going for it. One is he's a son of Ghost Sapper, and if memory serves me well, Ghost Sappers have won three of four of the last Queen's Plates. Yeah, de- definitely. You know, a huge edge to breeding there for for Telekinesis. Um, you know, and, and again, just. You know, like you said, four starts, uh, you know, in his life. But, you know, the, the plate trial to me, I thought that he was good. But I also think that, you know, it kind of was showing us that he has signs of, of even getting a lot better. I think it's the start he's going to really improve from. And if you look back to his last start before that, you know, he gets beat ahead by my boy Jack. Well, my boy Jack was a horse that was considered in the Derby and made a good, real, a real good account for himself in the Derby. So, uh, you know, watching that replay over and over again, and watching this horse, you know, do really give everything he had, and really made my boy Jack dig deep to get up for the win. You know, looking in here, my boy Jack would be, you know, probably about even money or less morning line. So, I know it's not always ABC handicapping, but I do think that with this this horse, there's a lot of stuff going for him. Yeah, and uh, if uh, you're a believer in buyers, uh, this horse is right there. Matter of fact, the two fillies are right there with them as far as speed figures are are concerned. Now, uh, Wonder Godot, Robert, I find this very interesting. I mean, she's won 742,000 from her 11 career starts. 
at this point in her career, they're adding blinkers. Uh, did she show something in her last few races that would have said, hey, we need to focus this horse? Because th- th- that's rare that w- when a horse has done that well in its career without them, that you would add them for such a huge historic race. You know, two, two starts to go right in the Kentucky Oaks. Uh, really, at, at every point watching that stretch drive, and obviously with us having you know, strong ties with this horse up in Canada. We were all, you know, watching the screen and the supports that are cheering for this horse because because of the, you know, the Canadian connections. And at no point did I think she wasn't going by, and she still kind of hung on the outside and didn't get there. Um, and, you know, you look at it and say, well, Monogamy Girl is just that good of a horse, and she came back and she won extremely convincingly. So I thought the Woodbine Oaks would be an absolute slam dunk for Wonder, Wonder Godot, and I thought that, you know, she would absolutely run away with it. She was bet down to the point that, you know, she should go out there and run like a one-to-five shot would, and she did the same thing again. She kind of just hung on the outside. So I think that the addition of blinkers is to hopefully break that, you know, that pack mentality horses have sometimes where they don't want to go by in that final step. Uh, you know, and if it does the trick, I mean, you know, I'll be honest with you, going into the Woodbine Oaks, she was the horse that I was saying, you know, I, I might try to get, you know, a mid-range price on this filly in the plate uh, because maybe she won't get the respect that a telekinesis will get. But then I do have really strong concerns with horses that don't take that final step past at the wire because sometimes it's just a habit that you can't break. Uh, now, talking about the other filly, uh, Dixie Moon, uh, again, daughter curl and distance should be uh, n- no uh, uh, factor. This is a mile and a quarter race on Tapetta, I do believe. And uh, she's posted very good speed figures. And she looks to one that's going to be on or near the pace. And to be honest with you, there's quite a few horses that will probably be keeping her company uh Long shots, uh, Inge, uh, the lightly raced uh, Strike Me Down, coming in from Monmouth, but uh, had two really good races um, at Woodbine. And then uh, Telekinesis likes to be near the lead. Uh, I really think uh, that this will be an interesting race from a, a jockey or a pace perspective because there are some horses in here that could soften up Telekinesis. Yeah, and, you know, that's the one thing you look at, too, is that, you know, you've got Mark Cassie with three horses in the race and, and, and uh, Mike Maker with three horses in the race as well. And, and, and of those horses, they're very versatile, some that like to go to the lead and some that like to stalk, some that like to close. So uh, it will be interesting to see how it kind of all sets up. Uh, I think you're exactly right. Dixie Moon's going to want to be up or near the lead. Um, and I think Telekinesis... You know, if I was backing him, which I likely will be, depending on the price, um, I think I'd like to see him just settle in just off him like he did, uh, you know, in against my boy Jack um, at Kingland because I think that's where he's going to want to be. Um, you know, again, there's a couple horses coming out of maiden claimers in here and a couple, um, you know, other horses that still haven't broke their maiden. And I do think that some of those might be part of that early speed, and, and I would uh, hate to see a horse of, of that quality kind of get hooked up in early speed duel when it costs him the race. Well, we'll leave that up to Patrick Osmonds, but certainly telekinesis uh, has uh, not faltered as the distances have stretched out. Uh, he's met uh, every challenge, and again, a son of Ghost Zapper, just like in the last few years, uh, Tappets have ruled the Belmont Stakes, uh, Ghost Zappers have ruled the Queen's Plate. Okay, what a sensational card. you got to be loving this. Uh, I did give you some props earlier in the show. Let me go back to my notes here uh, real quick. Uh, we're talking about uh, 
early pick five hundred thousand guaranteed, early pick four two hundred thousand dollars guaranteed, late pick five hundred thousand dollars guaranteed, and the late pick four, which is races ten through thirteen, uh, three hundred thousand dollars guaranteed. So all of these races are important if you're a handicapper. And looking at the Grade One Highlander, this is six furlongs on the turf. Uh, Robert Reed, need to ask you what's the weather report for these turf races? Uh, they is it going to be nice up there this weekend? It is hot. supposed to be very sunny, but very, very hot. Uh, I think the last report, uh, you know, that I saw showed us up in, you know, for uh, up in Canada, we go by Celsius, 32 degrees Celsius, which just means it's going to be extremely hot. They put an extreme heat warning uh, over the city of Toronto, uh, and, and again, it's that that's something you know, I guess, to be considered. But the good news is that the turf will be will be lightning fast. Well, yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. And let me tell you, the the grade one Highlander at six furlongs on the weeds has a lot of fast sprinters. And I'm trying to figure out uh, who you think floats to the top in this 10-horse field. Uh, you know what? I mean, it, it, I, I actually am going the other way with it. I think there's... There's a, there's a lot of early speed in there, and, and the beautiful thing about the E.P. Taylor turf course is that long stretch is, uh, and really the, 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 the sweeping turn can almost act as a straightaway at times, too. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look, you know, uh, you know, squarely onto a closer here in long on value. Um, I'm not sure if he's really going to be long on value, uh, because I think he might get that down a little bit more than it said the 72 line uh, suggests, but I do think he's the right horse in this race. Yeah, uh, Florent Giroux, who sometimes has uh, amazing days on a big card, will be there. And it, it, it is amazing how many of these horses are coming to this race off of 100-plus buyers. Uh, going back to the two races last year and his debut this year, all of them 100 uh, buyers. And I, and I know the field that he faced uh, at Churchill, while it was not a graded stakes race, I remember that race very much because I had an interest in it, and uh it was a classy bunch of horses in there. And, of course, uh, Brad Cox is having a good season south of the border, batting almost 30% on wins. Long on value does look like a horse that will benefit if these other uh, speed demons decide to get into a, uh, a speed match. So uh, that's going to be a fun race to watch. Again, uh, in our time, it's going to be just before 5 o'clock, about 10 minutes till, uh, and that's the ninth at Woodbine if you're looking to put it in some of your exotics. And again, we're talking with Robert Reed, and we're now going to look at a horse I love, Dance Smartly, a stakes named after her, $175,000, the Dance Smartly. Again, a rare distance that these horses ever race in their life on the grass, a mile and a quarter. Uh We've got last year's Queen's Plate winner in there, Holy Helena, the third-place Queen's Plate runner last year, inflexibility. But, boy, when you look at the resumes, I think Holy Helena is going to be hard to beat. Yeah, you know what? I'm of the same school of thought, but I also think for nostalgia reasons, she'll probably get bet down, um, and she might not offer that much value. So I might flip the script in that race. And I think I'm going to go with inflexibility. Uh, you know, she won the uh, Wonder Wear here last year after finishing third in the Queen's Plate. And she really seems to improve more and more for each start under Chad Brown. Um, you know, in this time, you, you really can't go wrong with Ashley Castellano. 
Um, you know, one of my favorite jockeys to watch. He seems to always have them in the right spot. Um, and I really think that this is a good spot for, for her and, and to get a little bit of value because, you know, Holy Helena is the household name. And I, I will guarantee that, again, for nostalgic reasons uh, and the fact that she did win the play last year and everyone's going to be talking about that, she will be uh, not even slightly over bet, probably heavily over bet. So uh, I do think that if you're looking for a bit of value, uh, I would maybe look to maybe flip those two and look for inflexibility to get the better of her this year. All right. Again, we're talking with Robert Reed. Let's bring it home in mid-card. Uh, we're talking about the grade two uh, King Edward, uh, and uh, this will be uh, a mile on the turf. A- another uh, interesting field. Right now they're saying Tower of Texas, a horse who really likes the Woodbine Court and likes the distance will be made the favorite and uh, but uh, he's not alone in here I, I kind of like I don't know if you call it a long shot or not caribou club in here is going to get some of my action yeah I, I'm actually trying to beat Tower of Texas as well um, again you know I'm, I'm sure uh, you know you're definitely you know, looking for value like I am with caribou caribou club um, I've got caribou club on the ticket but my first uh, selection in there is first uh, Premio, I think that this horse for Mark Cassie uh, has a big shot. Again, Florent Giroux, you know, like, like you are speaking with Sandy earlier, there's no shortage of great jocks up here. I mean, every single race is uh, is, is murderer's row. Um, but I really like this horse today, finally going, you know, finally back on the grass. Uh, two really strong efforts, um, last two out. Um, and uh, I just think that this horse uh, is one that, you know, Giroux knows very well. And that the, the horse that beat him two starts back, Mr. Cup, came back to be a very good third and actually beat world approval uh, versus some of the best milers in North America. Uh, wow. I think that if Giroux has this horse up, you know, in a, in a stalking position and not too far back, this horse will fire in the lane and will give, uh, you know, everyone a run for their money. And, and again, looking for more value there. And, and I'm, I'm going to actually, I'll use Tower Texas underneath them, but I'm going to go with Caribou Club and, and Delta Prince in behind. No, it's nice to hear a good handicapper pick a horse I actually like. I like that very much. Well, Robert Reed, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I know this is a huge week for you, and I greatly appreciate you taking the time to be with us here on Winning Ponies. Thanks a lot, and I hope it's not the last time we hear your voice on these airwaves. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, John, and you have a great weekend, too, and good luck with the races. All right. Okay, we've been talking with Robert Reed. Uh, before that, uh, Hall of Famer, and I can't even go into all the awards uh, he's won. He, I can tell you this, he wins the award for Class Act, and that's none other than Sandy Hawley. I love that guy. And, hey, maybe next year I'll be up there at Woodbine doing this show from there. So I want to thank those guys. I want to remind you to pull down your easy win forms because it's a big weekend up in Canada. I'm John Engelhart. And you're listening to Winning Ponies. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.